From Welcome Villain Films, the studio that brought you the horror hit Malum, as well as Beaten to Death and Hunter Killer, comes their newest nightmare, Mind, Body, Spirit, now available on digital. Directed by Alex Haynes and Matthew Miranda, and produced by Dan Asma, Mind, Body, Spirit follows Anya, an aspiring yoga influencer, as she embarks on a ritual practice left behind by her estranged grandmother. What starts as a spiritual self-help guide quickly evolves into something much more sinister. As Anya becomes increasingly obsessed with the mysterious power of the practice, she unwittingly unleashes an otherworldly entity that begins to take control of her life and her videos. Now, Anya must race to unlock the truth before her descent into madness threatens to consume her mind, body, and spirit. During its festival tour, which stops at Chattanooga Film Festival and the Unnamed Footage Festival, Mind, Body, Spirit garnered praise from critics who call it a found footage version of Hereditary and a knockout found footage horror movie for the live stream era. Experience the first ever yoga-themed found footage horror film and don't miss the film viewers have called extremely frightening and upsetting. Available now on digital anywhere you rent or buy movies online, including Prime Video and Apple Plus. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's the show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com And welcome back to Little Cuts, our weekly mini-sode where we dig into the things we've been uh, watching and or consuming. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. Um, and so, yeah, we're, we, this is like our episode where we sort of talk about stuff and, and things. And it's like a nice little free-form episode where we can just chat. And it sounds like from what we've seen on Twitter that you guys are really enjoying it. So yeah. that's amazing. Thank you for that feedback. It's good to know that people are listening and enjoy hearing it. So we're going to keep doing it as long as we get that good feedback. We miss doing it. And the moment we stopped, we started hearing people like, hey, what happened to you guys talking about what you've been enjoying? And it's just it, you know, when you have a certain amount of time that you can devote to an episode and something has to go, it, this one just didn't make sense to have in it. So, but we're glad that we're able to do this and Spend a little bit more time on it, too, and just kind of yeah. have a little bit of fun. Follower JD watched We Are The Missing and, like, messaged me about it, and we got to talk oh. about it, which is awesome. I love that. So, you know, please never hesitate to send one of us a DM if you listen, like, you watch something and you really enjoyed it. I'd love to have that kind of conversation because a lot of the movies that I watch, not a lot of people have seen, um, and I just would love to, like, hear people's thoughts on them if they do get to check them out. So, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what's so good about 
about podcasts, especially in these COVID times of, of self-isolation and not having the ability for a lot of people to be social is that like, you know, we can kind of create a community here and yeah. sort of like talk about what we've been watching. And, and so I love it when, when people reach out and, and do that kind of thing. I agree. So before we get into what we have been watching, a couple, a little bit of housekeeping. I know it's boring and I know it's kind of <laughs> annoying, but um, one of the most important things, if you like what we are doing and a lot of you seem to really be enjoying what, we, what we're doing, can you please take a moment and re- review, subscribe and rate us on iTunes? I've been kind of going down like this rabbit hole as <laughs> I tend to do when I find something out, I want to know more about it. And it seems like the iTunes algorithms are really weighted towards positive reviews and positive ratings. Because I've seen before where we've gotten like even one rating and all of a sudden our like ranking in iTunes jumps. And it seems to do that more with that than it is with downloads. And I don't know if that's true or not, but it just seems like from what I have seen in, in the trends of of our um, little journey over this last year and a little bit is that when reviews do come in, we do see a jump. And yeah. so if you like what we're doing, um, I mean, you don't have to like write a super long review, just like a couple words, you know, tell Mary Beth how amazing she is. And that's, that's great. Uh, but so it's just a good like this podcast rolls like, yeah, so fast. But if you, but I would recommend doing this, not just for us, but for any, any podcast that you enjoy, one of the best things of a way of saying thank you and a way of um, celebrating them is to take that five seconds. Exactly. Like, you know, we don't just want reviews. We want all of the podcasts out there to get that attention they deserve and get that love they deserve and get as much, get as many eyeballs because the more algorithms are garbage. Like we all know that, but the better we work with the algorithm, the more people can listen to us. And, you know, we want to try to spread the love as much as possible. So, you know, and we want other podcasts to spread the love as much as possible. Like we want as many podcasts as possible to get the love they deserve because these are labors of love. You guys know that. Like it's not easy to make a podcast. So no. show a little love. Again, it's like a Christmas present. Give us a little Christmas present. Yeah. <laughs> or holiday <laughs> gift. Sorry, holiday gift. And then the other thing is that um we would love to I mean, you know, we've said before little cuts is a little bit more free form and we're kind of working through how we want it to be and what we want it to what we want to do with it. Um mm-hmm. so we are open to you know if there's suggestions or comments or things you'd like to see, you know, please let us know. And as a example of that, we had um, John, who is on Twitter at that jazzy John, spelled J A H N. He came in with a suggestion this week. He said that he would love it if we had a section for audience questions and comments. And we we've kind of had that, but we don't honestly get a whole lot. Yeah, we don't really get a lot of comments, emails from people, and we really want to. We would, mm-hmm. especially with this new mini episode we would love to use it to answer more questions or just share comments like we don't even need a long question or something we just want to hear feedback from you and foster a more of a dialogue between us and the community because you guys are awesome Mm -hmm. and you know just you can even just shoot us a dm on the scarred twitter account Mm -hmm. at scarred podcast so you know please just don't be afraid to 
send us a little something and we'd love to give you a shout out because you guys are why we're still going so and he also hopefully and thankfully uh decided to lead that up with a question (laughs) which uh is kind of pertinent to this last week's episode with with gina of kill by kill where we watched salem's lot and he said that he just watched 30 days of night last week and for the first time since it was in theaters and he has feelings (laughs) he said that he forgot how this film followed all the vampire tropes a stranger arriving in town um get things and gets things prepared for the vampires sunlight burns them etc and he said that it felt like such a change of pace and a unique take at the time granted he was 17 when he first saw it not exactly versed in horror knowledge but he loved it as a rewatch especially just how gross and animalistic vampires were portrayed so his question he had two one was uh mary beth you've mentioned your love of feral vampires many times in the podcast now what is it that draws you specifically to feral vampires and do you prefer prefer them over the traditional romantic vampire this is such a good question like i love that we got this about 30 days of night because we all know how i feel about 30 days of night you hate Uh, it i know (laughs) um you said feelings and it seems like you have negative feelings john but i respect that and i understand i so okay I will start by saying that when I was younger, when I first started getting into horror, I loved the idea of the romantic vampire. I think I really liked this, like, gothic, traditional, handsome, gorgeous vampire. I loved Interview with the Vampire. I loved Twilight. I will not lie to you. Twilight was my shit. I loved, loved vampires. Like, it was – and I think the only vampires I really knew were the traditional vampire. But I think Mm. when I finally saw – Films like 30 Days of Night, I think there was something so much more primal and fascinating about them in terms of being feral, because a lot of the traditional vampires, in my experience, are very mopey and they're very sad. (laughs) They sure are. They're just like very like, woe is me, I live forever. And I think I got really tired of that. And I think I like seeing vampires that like just push that all aside and are just like animalistic and violent. And so... I find that more fascinating now, especially because it goes against the grain of like very sophisticated looking people. And I think there's a lot more room to play with the idea of a feral vampire. And I think there is something really fascinating about looking to that idea of like violent immortality and leaning into that violence rather than like not really vibing with it. (sighs) Yeah, I think that, yeah, that's how I feel about it. And I just, you know, I want more feral vampires. I do too. I. I, you know, I, I love a sexy vampire. Oh, yeah. But there's something to be said about the, the kind of, well, like Barlow in, in Salem's Lot or like yes. the, uh, the vampires in 30 Days of Night or like even afflicted in a way, the way that like yes. that found footage vampire movie where he's, it's almost body horror of him being taken over. I think that I love that kind of gooey, goopy kind of grossness. Yeah. And I think it's just like, I think a lot of vampire stuff is very sexual, which, granted, I love. And it's very, like, erotic with the biting. But this just, like, flips that shit on its head. And I think I just love that. I think I love doing something different and gross and pushing back against this gothic romantic ideal of, a, mm. like, a certain kind of character. And, you know, there's a place for sexy vampires, but I think I want more feral vampires. So I hope that answered your question. Um, and then he's got a question for Terry. Mm-hmm. Terry, you've mentioned before that you once lived in Alaska. Is this film in any way accurate in its portrayal of the isolated small town on the edge of the world? 
Man, I I love this question. <laughs> I unfortunately don't have a complete answer for it because I did live um, in the southern part of Alaska. Um, we were about 20 miles outside of Anchorage, which is the big city in Alaska. Uh... So, I mean, it, it, I, my living was kind of what I would what I would compare to living in kind of a rural small town um, of the contiguous United States, um, where it's like. You have you have to like subside on your own, but you also have a lifeline that's maybe twenty or thirty minutes away. Okay. That said, once you start to get northern in Alaska, things change drastically. I mean, mm. even the the state capital of Juneau is like I don't know if it's changed. I don't think it has, but you cannot access Juneau on land. You have to take a plane or you have to take a boat. So those are the only two entry points into the state capital of Alaska. And once you start to get even further up north, it becomes even more isolated. And um, if I remember correctly, I haven't seen I haven't seen 30 Days a Night in forever, but it takes place in Barrow, correct? Yeah, Barrow, Alaska. Barrow. And it's actually, let me look it up because Barrow, Alaska is a real place. It is a real place. It's like it's north of the Arctic Circle. It's like very it's like the country's northernmost point. So it is like as far north as you possibly can get. Mm-hmm. Um, now I will say that I don't think the movie completely like gets the demographics cause it's uh, mostly um, Inuit. Yeah. They definitely whitewashed that movie. That's a big yeah. piece of feedback about that movie. That's pretty intense is like, they definitely do a lot of um, erasure of the Inuit population. Yeah, because I want to say that like the white population is less than ten percent, so like it's it's very small, <laughs> a very yeah. small percentage in that regard. Um, but and the other thing is is that and I don't know if this necessarily matters or, or that much, but once um, once the sun goes down, it does go down in November and goes past the horizon, and it doesn't come back up until January. But it's not like midnight black the entire time. There are, um, I think at the, the most, um, the darkest point, I believe there's like three hours of twilight. So mm, it doesn't completely get okay. to be daylight, but okay. it doesn't get like, you know, midnight, dark, black out the entire time. Um, okay. so, so there is that, but I, I think that it also does kind of, I think it does a good job of representing that sort of, isolated closed offness of alaska because there's you know alaska's weird i don't know if you guys have heard it It made like the (laughs) the news a few years ago um the town of whittier have you heard of whittier alaska i don't think so it is a community under one roof it is there is a single 14 story building where the majority of the people live in and it is cut off from the rest of nebraska through a mountain or uh, nebraska alaska through a mountain (laughs) And that mountain has it gets closed off at night. So if you aren't inside the town at a certain time, you're not getting in in the town until morning. That's so fucking creepy. <laughs> and it's one building for the most part that people live in. So like Alaskan people are very um, outdoorsy and very, you know, we're going to fight. We're going to like make our stand in this in this weather. So, yes, it. I, I do think that it does. Kind of. That's my long-winded answer to say that yes, I do think it probably is an accurate portrayal of the isolation once you get further north in Alaska. Yeah, and there's um, there's a point in the film where one of the guys says, "They don't. That's not why we live up here to have a little freedom." And I used mm-hmm. to work on a show called The Last Alaskans for Animal Planet, and that's very much 
what it is. These people live on a piece of land that only like five people in the world can live on. And they are like, I built a log cabin and live out here. It's like, I think it is definitely a place where people who want to kind of live a more isolated slash like free and scare quotes lifestyle. So yeah, I, I think that a lot of the people up there, if you were not part of like the military, or you weren't born up there, chances are you're going up there because you want to lay claim or, you know, investigate this final frontier. Is yeah. You know, uh, the other thing is that um, actually, I would recommend reading the book Hold the Dark. They made a movie on it that's oh, on Netflix. Okay, I saw the movie. By yeah, Jeremy Saulnier, he did uh who's the green room director, he did it. Um but the book actually I think does a really good job of presenting what life can be like up mm. in these very small um Alaskan towns. And so if, if that's something that is interesting to you, I would definitely recommend checking out that book. So yeah, thank you so much for sending that question we love it it's so good so please everybody like keep sending us stuff like this it is so awesome to hear from you guys and hear not only your questions but your thoughts on these movies i mean terry and i have a couple movies that we talk about all the time so you know i want to hear what you think about them Mm -hmm. and if you don't like them that's also cool i'd love to hear why you don't just don't be a dick about it (laughs) but yeah like i would love to hear other opinions on it like love that now talking about the movies or content that we've consumed. Terry, what have you been watching? Um, So the first movie I feel like has been building over my head for like, I don't know, almost this entire year. It's um, a movie that like I was kind of nervous about um, visiting because it means so much to some people, particularly Tony Kaufman, friend of the show and oh, our friend. Oh, I know what you're going to say. <laughs> who wrote a very moving and powerful essay about it for for the gaily dreadful pride series um it it is excision by richard bates jr <sighs> okay this is the moment like a quite a few people have been waiting for i know it was it was so funny that like the moment i what was watching it on i put it up on on letterbox <laughs> and i was watching it and all of a sudden um i get tagged on on it from uh from Justin Nordell and he's like, Oh my gosh, it's wonderful to finally see Gaily Dreadful watch this. And so <laughs> there's a lot of like people that are it's a lot of pressure on you. So what you <laughs> what did you think? <laughs> um, you know, I actually really I did enjoy it. Oh, okay. Good. I uh it took me a minute to get into the swing of things with it because okay. I I did find the lead um character a bit off putting. That's fair. She's a little... In the beginning. She is off-putting. But the thing is, is that by, like, as I started to, like, get to know her, it, you know, it's a character that, that is so other in in a, in a way that I, yeah. I find very um, interesting because typically in, the, in these kinds of movies where you have a character that is, like, outside of what, what everyone else in the film considers the quote-unquote normal, mm-hmm. you, you start to see, like, them by the end of the movie getting pulled into... Society is a large. I mean, that seems to be like a, a traditional trajectory for these types of movies. And I think it's amazing that Pauline, the main character of this, does not do that at all through oh, this movie. Oh, God, no. I, I actually was really pulled in by by basically the relationships, um, mm. particularly how people in her family related to her, because you have... I mean, the IMDb summary is a disturbed and delusional high school student with aspirations of a career in medicine goes to extremes to earn the approval of your controlling mother is basically what IMDb says the plot is. And I don't know if I completely agree with that. Yeah, I don't 
completely agree with that either. But but I I will say that seeing Pauline interact with um, her mother, who is played gloriously by Tracy Lords. Oh my god! And seeing her interact with her father, who's played amazingly by Roger Bart, <laughs> and seeing the way she interacts with her sister, played by Ariel Winter. And each of them kind of, and how each of them relates to Pauline, I found very fascinating. And I loved, I loved her sister. I loved how yeah. pure their relationship was. Um, so yeah, I, I really liked it. Um, I've been kind of in like this, I, and I think it might be still from COVID. I've been kind of in this mental fog. So I'm having like a hard time of like concentrating in movies, but this one kept my attention. Oh, it's awesome. Well, yeah. I'm so glad you finally watched it and you enjoyed it. I know that's like pre- a lot of pressure when people keep telling you to watch something, but cool. I'm so glad you watched it. I want to rewatch it so bad. That movie is so good and fucking You weird. liked it a lot, right? I love it. I love yeah. this decision. So um, I am so excited you watched it, though. It's very exciting. Yeah, I was really worried going in, not only because of – I not worried, but like uh, I was kind of anxious about going into it because I also – I've only seen one other movie that that he's directed and I didn't really care for it. I um, haven't seen any of his stuff before. I know his stuff is weird. Because I watched Tone Deaf that came out oh, from the last year. Oh, okay. Cool. And it just was not – it was not my cup of tea. Okay. Um, so I was like – I didn't know what to expect coming into this. But I actually I, – I really, I really enjoyed it. Awesome. That's so exciting. And then the other movie that I watched – gosh, I don't even know what to call it. It's um, Twitch of the Death Nerve, <laughs> a.k.a. Snuff is My Game, a.k.a. The Last House on the Left Part 2, a.k.a. The Antecedent, a.k.a. A- a Bay of Blood. A.k.a. Murder Parfait. <laughs> I gave it. <laughs> the I gave it the parfait. name Murder I love Parfait. It. I love it. Oh, my God. A Bay of Blood. So this is another another um, step in my giallo journey. And Terry and I – Terry has been going with me on it, which has been awesome. So – he watched a Bay of Blood with me, or yeah, with me, and um, huh? What is this movie about, Mary Beth? You know, Terry, damned if I know. Um, <laughs> I think it's about a bunch of people trying to get the inheritance of a rich old woman. Yeah, that's kind of the vibe I got. But like, other than that, I don't really. I lost track of the plot, and I don't really think it's supposed to be about the plot. I mean, you know, the thing is, is that it actually does. Like, the plot itself actually makes sense. I just don't think. It's told very well. Yeah, the plot is like, it's like, so someone said this on Twitter and I very much, I was saying the same thing. It's like Knives Out. It's like a Knives Out slasher. Like yeah, the that's whole a good family, idea. like a wealthy family congregates in this one place of a person who died and they they don't know if she was murdered or what. And, you know, people start dying. And so like, it's a cool concept. I just like the way that it's told and the way that the story is woven together is like very disparate. Like it makes little sense. <laughs> when it's really in actuality a very like simple plot of yeah. like you have the the the, the daughter that's coming to, to take hopefully take over and then you have these landowners that are trying to like swoop in and and control it and then you have the potential illegitimate son of the the mother that was killed in the opening act so like it all kind of makes sense but it's not explained well at So I didn't all. realize it was a, a illegitimate son because I was like, who the fuck <laughs> is this guy? And the, do- yeah, the daughter's like, like 
there's like one conversation where the where like the the the, the uh, fortune teller and her bug scientist husband are talking to them, and they mention that she had an illegitimate son, and so that's like it's one little line that if you're not paying complete attention to that dialogue, which is kind of hard to to keep track of, yes. <laughs> you would yeah. miss out on this whole on on why this guy is involved at all yeah and like that's a lot of like they don't introduce the daughter until like 40 minutes into the movie <laughs> I, know. I was like wait is this the main character <laughs> and it's like all kind of focused on his friends and Broomhilda, queen of very tiny short dresses isn't that mm. her name the f- i think so yeah and i think I don't think I liked it as much as most people did, but I really appreciate it. I can see where like Friday the 13th got a lot of its tropes and I think it's very creative in its kills. I think I just got like very lost and confused in it and it made it a little (laughs) bit hard for me to enjoy because I was like really trying so hard to parse out what was happening and who was who. But maybe if I watch it again without like really wanting – like without trying to make sense of it, I'll enjoy it more. But I was just – I was so lost. I kept feeling like I was almost caught up and then something else happened and I was like (laughs) – Fuck, I'm so behind. You know, the, the thing – so there, there's a couple things I really do like about it. I love – there's the opening, which is like the the matriarch is uh, wheelchairing around her place and it's very kind of like sad. And then she gets killed. And what I think is interesting is that there's a camera pan up and you see the killer's face. And you don't see that a lot in Giallo. And then it's revealed that there's someone else in there that's, that kills him. And I love that that little surprise. So did I. I did really appreciate the opening. And I was like, oh, shit, there's a killer. Like, I was like, oh, I was like, oh they're revealing the killer. And then like, oh, just kidding. It's not the killer. And then it ends up being like six different killers, which <laughs> is like very confusing. And I mean, I like... In, in theory, and I think after watching it, I appreciated it kind of being like a little bit of a subversion of what you think a giallo is. Like there isn't just like one creepy mask killer, but like everyone's kind of a shit. Yeah, I think I need to watch it again. The other thing that I really liked is um, this this idea of people watching people. So like there's a oh, lot of – it's like it's a thing that gets that gets shown through the entire film and it's really tied to the, the plot of the film of like – Everyone is basically watching everyone else, but there's like a couple scenes that do it. The first one is, of course, this opening scene where you have the little lady and then you think you, the little lady is being watched by this one dude, but that one dude is also being watched by someone else. And then there's a scene later where um, the the illegitimate son slash squid hunter and the oh, bug yeah. scientists oh, yeah. are talking and they're being watched through binoculars in the past. And then there's also a killer POV shot of someone watching. So there's like all of these like people watching people watching people moments that I think is really is really actually really smart in a film that is really confusing. I agree. And there's always there's always this discussion in slashers about voyeurism and that kind of mm-hmm. killer POV. But I think this movie really is like the framework for that. And the idea of voyeur voyeurism and horror as like not just watching like sex, but and violence, but watching humans and like, yeah, spying on people. And I think this movie really is probably a springboard for that and there's that ending holy shit that holy shit <laughs> what wow. the fuck we shouldn't spoil it no but, but man i I'll was tell just you. like wait <laughs> again giallo movies and their fucking endings i'm just like what is happening here like what is going on and terry told someone was saying about the ending to me i don't know if it was terry or someone else it was me yeah and i was like 
the ending was about I was like, it's literally like two minutes left. <laughs> I know it's it's so like like I don't think anyone could ever like guess how the movie is going to end like it's just out of nowhere it just happens and I'm like what the fuck even though I had seen the movie before I completely forgot it how forgot how it ended and I was like holy shit I yelled what the fuck and like ran out of the room and was like what is this uh, movie so I love it but it's it's it. you know it goes all in again which I can appreciate about Giallo that shit just goes the fuck in. Yes, it does. Other than uh, Bay of Blood, what have you been watching, Mary Beth? I have been watching quite a few things, but the film I really want to talk about is a film that I watched today called The Roll Farms Haunting. And it is found footage. Fucking surprise, surprise. And I found it randomly online on a Reddit thread about unseen found footage movies. And I looked it up and it... There's not a lot about like written about it. Um, it has like not that many reviews on Letterboxd, and people don't like it on Letterboxd. So I was like, well, again, I've taught this before. Letterboxd is not always like my favorite way of judging um, found footage films. And I yeah. watched it. It's free on Amazon Prime, and I was blown. I thought it was really good, actually. Like, what's it about? So there's a guy the director his name is Cordero Roman and he is making a movie about his close friend Luke Roll and Luke they live in rural Wisconsin and Luke is basically inherited his family farm after his parents died so he lives by himself on this giant farm and Cor- Cordero wants to make a documentary about him basically like living on the farm and you know what it's like to be 21 and living alone on the farm it's just like going to be like a slice of life documentary. Mm-hmm. And then weird shit starts happening. Like they keep hearing knocking and doors open and it starts like escalating very quickly. Um, and it is actually, I almost covered my eyes at a couple parts and really? the tension it builds is really, really impressive. And so this actually feels like very much like a found footage film. Like it, it looks like a kid with a shitty camera and so i was worried about that because i thought like because a lot of those movies that look like that are like cheesy and not good but this one was also like that really helped it the acting at some points is a little rough but i also didn't mind that because it felt to me the way that people who aren't comfortable with being on camera talk to each other like in my experience of filming people some people just like are weird like they completely change in front of the camera and so that kind of there's like a stiffness to some of the dialogue that it's made sense to me um and it didn't bother me as much as i think it bothers some of the people who've seen it on the internet but it is so creepy it's like it's basically the strangers found footage huh and i thought it was very effective and i thought it it's it's like you know, it's a little bit derivative, but I really enjoyed it. And I think it gives a new spin on that kind of home invasion thing. From a found footage perspective, because I've always wanted to see the strangers from found footage. So this kind of scratched that itch. And huh. so I, I really enjoyed it. And I'm, you know, I keep finding these really cool little gems and I just want to keep talking about them because there's some really good shit out there. And this was made in 2013. And I think uh 81 people have seen it on Letterboxd. <laughs> so it's free on Amazon Prime if you want to check it out. Um again, let me know what you think if you watch it. Um 
Yeah, I think it's a really interesting, really well done film that builds tension in a way that like these kinds of low budget found footage movies sometimes falter in terms of building that tension. I think they're a little bit inconsistent, but this one did a really good job. And there aren't really jump scares, but they do a lot of that panning around to empty spaces. And you expect okay. there to be someone there, but they don't go for the cheap jump scare. And I love that because I was like about to like like start sweating and so i really like the way that they built up the tension and they had some really genuinely creepy moments so roll farms haunting worth the hour and 20 minutes spelled r-o-h-l r-o-h-l yes um again hour and 20 minutes can't go wrong (laughs) but yeah so those are the those are the two things i really wanted to talk about because I was very impressed by this movie. And um, so next week, we will be continuing our Italian horror journey with Shock, another Mario Bava. I'm so excited. And so the gifts are going around of that movie are amazing, um, of a small child turning into a giant human or into an adult man very quickly. And so um, it's on Shudder. So if you want to watch along with us, we would love that. Um, So we'll be talking about that next so a next episode on friday you will be talking about it so you know if you want to participate go ahead yeah follow along so we also have a little bit of um <laughs> off kilter thing we're going to do today because this is our show and we do what we want to quote katya and trixie mattel yeah. i will oh my god i was thinking the same thing <laughs> this is our show this is our show and not and yours. yours so uh Harry, you want to tell us a little bit about this uh, this fun little segment? Yeah. So, like, earlier this month, we talked to um, Ryan Spindell, <laughs> and he I, – I mean, it was it was a bizarre opening um, for us because, <laughs> like, everything was just going nuts. But he just drops the fact that there is a Peppermint Patty Bud Light Seltzer that was coming out uh, for the holidays. And um, I was walking through the grocery store this weekend, and I found the, um, as it's called, Ugly Sweater Box um, from Bud Light that had the peppermint patty, ginger snaps, cranberry, and apple crisp, I want to say. Yeah. Is the... And so I picked it up because I thought uh, Ryan Spindell was talking about it. And here's a clip of that episode right here for for those who haven't watched it yet but you should go watch that episode if you haven't or listen to that episode did did you guys have you guys heard that their bud light seltzer is releasing a peppermint patty flavored seltzer no. for christmas i can't i don't know i'm just not I don't i'm know. unsure i'm I unsure love, i mean i, I would love try peppermint, it but like as a seltzer i i i don't know i figured i would i would pick it up and then mary beth is like i should go pick it up too but unfortunately <laughs> So I didn't drive to look for it because I didn't. I don't. I'm scared of driving. Um, but I, I live in like a pretty like populated area. So I walked to four different fucking liquor stores, <laughs> and not one had it. I was I went on like an hour and a half journey around my like the city I live in, and I could not find it. Um, I live in a predominantly Ethiopian community, and I think they were probably like no. What? No, like, <laughs> what do you? They're, you mean they're smarter than the yeah, rest of exactly. Us. They're like absolutely fucking not. Um, and then I went to like my favorite beer store, but it's like a f- craft beer store, so <laughs> they were probably like they don't even have like Bud Light or like basic beers there. So <laughs> I was just like, all right, fuck it, I'm gonna buy a weird flavor something though to um 
to kind of share in the the moment. Hell yeah. So I got this cider called Apple Pie and Ice Cream. Which sounds like it could be good. It sounds like it could be good, but it was the weirdest one I could find. And also it was one of those beer stores where like they have stacks and stacks of beer from all over the place and you get overwhelmed. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And I wanted to get hard seltzer, but they had like mango and normal flavors and I wanted to get like a weirder flavor. Yeah. So um, I have this can here. (laughs) Oh my God. I'm so excited. And I'm... I mean, I, I know like uh, Matt Donato tried this uh, this last week and the reviews weren't good. And I don't know how anyone could make a chocolate mint seltzer and it be good. But weirder things have happened. Um, so I'm going to try this. Crack open that uh, sucker. Uh, oh, God. Oh, God. The smell. Oh, oh God. God. I don't mm, okay, right. go. The silence is that Terry has died from drinking it. Um, <laughs> I'm just gonna put that down. No, thank you, please. Um, I, I don't know what to say about this. Um, you bought it. You spent money on that, girl. I, let me tell you. So far, the only one I have liked is the cranberry. I tried the apple crisp this weekend and was like, no, no, thank you. Um, I haven't tried the ginger snap because I'm terrified. Um, and this is a no for me. <laughs> how many are this how is, many are in the pack? It's a twelve pack. Oh Jesus Christ! So I have three of these. I have three of the ginger that I've drinking all the cranberry because those were actually really fucking good. I love cranberry. But I like I like cram. You put cranberry in anything with alcohol, and I'm, it's a win for me. Yes, I um, agree. Mm, why am I still drinking this? Yeah, this what is the not good. Fuck? Oh, no. Ah. What about you, Mary Beth? What is okay. yours? All right, everybody. Apple pie and ice cream hard apple cider. Let's see. Smells like apples. Smells like mm. uh, specifically honey crisp apples, which is already mm. good. Hmm. Wait, that's so weird. Is it? Is it good? Yes, because I was kind of confused about how they were going to get, like, the ice cream flavor. Yeah, the creaminess but is the, got, It's not the creamy, thing. but it's got that, like, very interesting, like, vanilla-y flavor. Oh, and okay. And it's, like, that's actually pretty impressive. Huh. huh. Well, I think it's you actually, won on this because um, yeah. this is not good. Yeah. Like, I th- actually, you know, I think that if you'd taken out the, the, the chocolate part... This would be kind of Ew, at least mint interesting. Mint hard seltzer. I mean, I like mint water. You put some mint in water. I mean, yeah. I mean, this that would be just basically like mint and alcohol and sparkling water. True. I guess that's true. Yeah, chocolate doesn't really seem like. Damn, this is so fucking good. <clears throat> I'm jealous. What What was the brand? So this is a, a local brewery in okay. Maryland called Red Shedman <laughs> Farm <laughs> Brewery and Hop Yard in Mount Airy. Okay. But it's it's seriously just fermented apple juice, cinnamon, vanilla, and malic acid, whatever that means. Um, but it's like has this really good apple and cinnamon flavor and vanilla y flavor. Mm. So this is um really, really fucking good. So 
I won. Only because yeah. I couldn't find the Funlight <laughs> Seltzer. <laughs> and I think that in itself is a win. I was going to uh, say, I also think it's a win. It seemed, I was talking to Steve and he was like, honestly, I think we were like, I think the the the, the world was trying to tell me something about drinking <laughs> and having that sitting in our fridge for like months at a time. Yeah, you won hands down. Um, I the bar was low. Like 14 bucks for this. And I think I got like... I'm probably going to get three out of it. They're actually any decent. <laughs> but like they're fucking winning because they keep people keep buying it. So they like honestly good for I them, know. I guess. I did talk to my mom about getting it for Thanksgiving and having a taste test with my family and she's going to do it. So I will report back on that experience. But I was like, I was like, well, if I the way that oh, way I don't have to buy it. I don't have to have it in my fridge. And then we can all have it to be like a bonding experience about how terrible it is. There you go. So, yes. This has been alcohol tasting. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> y'all, actually, if y'all have any, like, weird flavors of alcohol you want us to try, let us know. Who knows? Maybe this will be, like, a regular segment. <laughs> so. Um, but for making through <laughs> that nonsense, um, we, we are going to, I think, start um, including on these episodes sort of, like, what we're going to be discussing in our main feed. And... What are we talking about on Monday? Oh my god. God damn it, one more one second. We we're talking about trains. Planes, planes trains, and automobiles. Talk about the band train. Um <laughs> But so on Chops of Jupiter in her hand. <laughs> so on Monday, we are talking with writer and podcaster Reina Cervantes about the great mouse detective. Oh yeah, we are. Very excited. I I love when we talk about horror movies, but I really love when we talk about movies that aren't technically horror movies because it's just Mm -hmm. so fun to revisit them as adults and really dive into how weird they are. So it's a very fun episode. And apparently how queer. Yes. Again, like... This has been like a trend. Y'all know this. Like, y'all are ready. Like, y'all know what we're about. So get ready for a queer reading of The Great Mouse Detective and uh, from me being obsessed with Radigan. So, yeah. Oh, he is the best. He is the best. Muscle daddy. <laughs> That's just a teaser of what's to come. There you go. <laughs> so, yep. All right. Well, well. Thanks for um for listening to us <laughs> drawn on about uh, Bud Light Seltzer and um for sticking with us. Yeah, we thanks, guys. It. And you know, follow us on Twitter if you don't already. And I'm, I'm at NB McAndrews. I'm at Gailey Dreadful. Follow the podcast at Scarred Podcast. And as we said before, please review, rate, and subscribe. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, stay safe out there, but most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. 
If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>